everyone, this is Tosha and you are listening to the Supernova Tosha Show podcast, a show that discusses social issues and how it affects our community. And today we are going to be discussing should the United States sterilize its addicts? Well, today I wanted to discuss a very sensitive and personal matter the topic of sterilization for those addicted to drugs and alcohol and if they should be sterilized. So um, is it uh, discriminating against individuals based on the fact that they are addicted to drugs or alcohol? Is this a means of punishment or is it a means of control? Well, some people say that, um, you know, uh, some people say that uh, addiction should be treated as a medical condition that requires compassion and evidence-based care. And uh, sterilization is a serious violation of human rights and should not be used as a means of controlling or punishing individuals, regardless of their addiction status. So every person does have the right to make their own decisions about their reproductive health, and it is not suit- suitable to take away that right without their consent. Now, instead, we should have a clear-cut plan on providing support, tools, and resources, um, you know, to assist individuals so that they can overcome their addiction in order for them to make informed decisions um, regarding their health and their well-being. Now, I'm going to show show you a clip from um, a talk show. And uh, you can go ahead and uh, make your comments below. Tell me what you think. I just want you to um, look at this show and, you know, give your opinion after just actively listening and keeping an open mind. Go ahead. Let's roll this footage. However, as an OBGYN, my concern is there are other means of birth control that are as effective as having your tubes tied, but they are readily reversible. So I know that you offer both options to women so they can either go with sterilization, which is permanent, versus something like a Nexplanon, which is the device that goes under the skin for three years, or an IUD, one of Mm -hmm. which can last for three to five years and another for 10 years. So how about focusing just on long-acting reversible contraception as opposed to sterilizations? Why are you sterilizing these women? Let's fast forward 10 years, 20 years when they are clean and sober. Are you saying that a clean and sober woman no longer deserves to have that option? I think it's their choice what type of birth control they want. I chose a tubal ligation after I had three children. They've had three to 13, and if they don't want any more children... That's their choice. Do you think that's a great time for them to be making that decision? That's between them and the doctor. I've had many women call and say the doctor would not give them a tubal ligation because they were not clean. And that, and I don't, we don't ask anybody to do anything. We just want them on long-term birth control. It's their choice. You talk about choice. You're talking about women on drugs, many of whom have psychological issues, mental health issues. So are they really making a choice? You're focusing on the rights of the woman. This is not about the women to me. This is about the innocent children who don't have a choice. There's so many ways. Barbara, there's so many ways that we have the women. Let's let's deal with the addiction of the women. So don't don't make this a binary choice. You believe that the women have rights to procreate next. That's fine, but I do not believe anybody has a right to destroy the lives of innocent children. Barbara, you and I agree on that. You and I agree. I'm a mother of three. I'm a children's rights advocate. I've spent my life 
advocating on behalf of children. But let's be clear, it's not a binary choice. It's not the rights of the women versus the rights of the children. Let's spend, invest some of that money in getting these women off drugs. How about not, that? Why don't we try to work on improving the system and help these women get off drugs so that they can be better okay, parents that's and better mothers and their children? Does. I've had many people say, why women don't you spend your money on drug treatment? That's given not the history of sterilization in this country, it's a big problem. So if I, if I may just interject a little bit, I think... You know, in psychiatry, unfortunately, I see the repercussions of children that are born to females that, that were addicted in utero. And there are a lot of developmental delays and issues. And I, and I do want to just support you, you know, somewhat in, in what you're saying, because that all makes sense. From a psychiatric perspective, I do capacity evaluations at the hospital. And the capacity evaluation, for those of you that don't know, is can this person make a decision in the frame of mind that they're in to go through with a medical procedure. And in a lot of cases, when someone is intoxicated, in those cases, they really, they're, they're not in the frame of mind to make a decision to have that procedure. Why can't you just say, let's do long acting reversible contraception? I would commend you for that program. So why not take sterilization off of the table? Because many of the women don't want to have any more children. They've had three to 13 children and they don't want any more children. And to the doctor, my, I always say, if you can't trust them with a choice, how can you trust them with a child? What percentage of women will choose sterilization approximately? So I want to say maybe a, I don't have the stat, maybe a quarter. And how many of these women, Barbara, that see doctors are given an option, as Dr. Nita talked about, for long-term birth control? Do you know what percentage would actually are actually choosing long-term birth control versus sterilization? Most of them are choosing long-term birth control because they're younger and they might want to get clean one day. Hopefully that's the goal. Everybody wants them to get clean, but the reality is many of them won't. Wow. Um, that's a powerful argument there um, to, you know, especially with uh, physicians uh, being behind the fact that they don't want, they're not in agreement with um, permanent sterilization of, of women that are, that are addicts. And um, I just wanted to point out too, it's not just sterilization for the women, it's uh, men also uh, encouraging for them to have vasectomies. So like in the video, you can see that, um, you know, the medical professions, professionals who deliver and treat babies that are born with addiction are more focused on long-term methods of birth control. Sterilization, in their opinion, is unethical, and it seems that uh, their agenda is more to provide education and, um, you know, prevention and treatment services uh, to help individuals overcome addiction. So, you know, what about the concerns and the well-being of the babies born to parents with addiction? Is like you, you can see the psychiatrist um, that uh, said that he treats a lot of the um, the uh, the women, you know, with the addiction that give birth to these children addicted with the babies, and of course the the the, the babies when they grow up. Um, as they're growing, as they're developing, there's a lot of issues that come with that. Um, it is important to recognize that sterilization is it's not an effective solution because 
It does not address the root cause of addiction or it provides support for individuals and families affected by the addiction. Now, in order to ensure that babies are born healthy and to have the best possible start in life, addiction should be addressed as a medical condition. Um, there are some states in, um, you know, there are some states that have laws that allow for criminal charges to be brought against women who give birth to babies with drug addiction or withdrawal sentence. And um, criminalization, um, criminalizing addiction and punishing individuals who are struggling with this condition is not an effective way to address the issue either. Um, I just never understood criminalizing and incarcerating a person addicted to drugs and alcohol um, as a solution. That was something that always puzzled me when I would just, you know, see uh, television shows like Lock Up and things like that. And a lot of women are there because they're they're addicts, and that's the only that's the only thing that um, that they did. They weren't murderers. They weren't thieves. They weren't thugs. They had a medical condition, which is addiction. And, um, the punishment was, um, incarceration. Um, incarceration can actually worsen the problem by exposing individuals to further trauma, violence, and drug use. Um, it also limits their access to treatment and also to support. Cause you know, when you're locked up, um, you're not really seeing the the doctors that you're supposed to. There are certain uh, prescription medication that you're given to lessen the um, lessen the cravings for the drugs or to the alcohol. And a lot of times they don't have the when you're incarcerated, you don't have access to that. So um, you know we need to find a different approach that can help to reduce the harm caused by addiction and promote healthy recovery. Now, um, in doing some research, I came across a video regarding paying patients for an experimental surgical procedure. And this is very interesting to watch how much more vulnerable people are being targeted and taken advantage of so that others can make huge profits. Um, this video, I wanted, this is a must watch. Like I really wanted to get this video out there. So I'm gonna go ahead and play this second video and just take a look. Believed to be more than 600,000 opioid addicts in this country. Tonight, we look into a scheme that is preying on many of them just for profit. It involves naltrexone, a drug that curbs cravings. The FDA did approve it in some forms, but not as a surgical implant. That has not stopped questionable recruiters from paying addicts hundreds of dollars to have the surgery. And doctors are billing insurance companies tens of thousands of dollars, as we discovered. He said from the very, very first time I used heroin, the very first time he said I was hooked. In March 2016, Debbie Berry of Ashland, Missouri, got a text from her 22-year-old son, Brennan, that no mother wants to receive. He texted me and said that I have, I have a drug problem, Mom. I, I, I'm in trouble. Desperate to help her son, Barry got him into treatment in California. One day he called her from a doctor's office to tell her he'd found something to help. He said, I'm gonna get an implant put in. I'm here with them and they've done a pre-certification that the insur your insurance will pay for it. It was an Eltrexone implant, a small pellet inserted near a patient's abdomen. It releases medication that blocks the brain's opiate receptors, 
So if Brennan used heroin, he would not be able to feel the effects. He was so adamant about how much it would help him. Did you know he was getting paid for it? I absolutely did not know he was getting paid for it. A CBS News investigation has found vulnerable addicts like Brennan Berry are being paid hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars in cash to get this 30-minute outpatient procedure. You don't give a drug addict cash money. Industry insiders tell us doctors can make up to $30,000 for each simple surgery. And the money is so good, some doctors hire marketers. And some of those marketers employ recruiters who lure patients with cash. We found a recruiter calling himself Carter on Craigslist. Oh, hey, I was looking for Carter. And we arranged to meet him at a Hollywood grocery store posing as a potential patient. He told us the implant had saved his life. I had a heroin addiction about four years ago. Uh, yeah, it's, and, uh, it's bad. I was on and off, but I'm over, over a year clean now because Congrats. of this implant. And as long as insurance would cover it, he'd pay us cash, too, to get one. I'll pay about $750 for that. $750? $750. Carter is far from the only one recruiting patients for cash. I found a way to not sell drugs and make twice as much money. John, a former marketer and heroin user who is now sober, agreed to shed light on this expanding illegal practice if we disguised his identity. I would find anybody who was vulnerable and I went up to him. I said, hey, you know, this really helped me out. This is how I got sober, even if I wasn't sober when I was saying this. Not only did John recruit patients to get implants, he got them himself. The first one I was paid $750. The second one I was paid $1,500. I was paid $2,000 for the third implant. And I got the third implant while I already had the second implant. John says two of those implants were put in by a Beverly Hills doctor named Randy Rosen, the same doctor who did Brennan Berry's implant surgery. Um, his name is Dr. Rosen, Dr. Dr. Randy Rosen. Randy. That recruiter from Craigslist had also told us about him. Excuse me, Dr. Rosen. Rosen declined our request for an interview, so we tried to catch up with him outside his office. Well, we've been wanting to talk to you about why patients are being paid to get surgeries. Through his attorney, Dr. Rosen told us he has nothing to do with that Craigslist ad, and he has no idea who Carter is. This is private property. These are not allowed to claim here. He also told us all patients must sign this form, stating they have not been paid to get the implants. As for Brennan Berry, three months after getting his, he overdosed after taking heroin mixed with fentanyl. I came home and found him. I'm in his bedroom and he was gone when I got here. You saw him struggle with this. You wake up every day and you have to fight every day not to use or not to drink. They say it's one day at a time, but it's every second of every day. And he did. He fought it. After he died, Debbie Berry learned her son was paid $1,000 to get the implant. You don't pay somebody to have surgery. You don't, you don't prey on vulnerable people who are trying their hardest to stay alive and have a real life again. Dr. Rosen's clinic billed Debbie Berry's insurance $59,000 for the surgery. The plan was willing to pay only a small fraction of that. Rosen's attorney did not tell us whether the doctor hires marketers. And there you have it, folks. Um, wow. So the video um, that was played illustrates how some agencies are offering incentives for individuals struggling with addiction to undergo sterilization. And this video, um, 
you know, uh, is paying for the surgery, giving you an incentive to have the surgery. Uh, so this raises ethical questions about consent and coercion as offering incentives for individuals struggling with addiction to undergo um, these uh, surgical procedures. Um, you know, that it is a form of coercion, which is both unlawful and unethical. And, um, you know, uh, it does raise concerns about consent and the ability of the individual to make informed decisions about their bodies. Additionally, the effect of illegal substances on the body can be long lasting, and it may be difficult to determine when an individual is sober enough to make such a life altering decision. So um, it is it is important to consider the potential consequences and ethical implications of uh, such actions. And uh, these are the viewpoints of people, you know, against addicts um, being sterilized. And, um, you know, I, I just want to know, you know, what about the child? We're, we're talking about the rights of the addicts. And, you know, of course, as an individual, you're all everybody has their rights and you, you know, no one has the right to, to violate them. But what about the child? Is it true that, you know, giving birth to a baby who is addicted to drugs can be considered a form of child abuse as the baby may experience withdrawal symptoms and other health complications? Well, newborns who are born addicted to opioids can experience withdrawal symptoms from birth to six months of age, which can include tremors, poor feeding, breathing problems, and fevers. Additionally, opioid-exposed babies may experience developmental, behavioral, educational, and psychological mental health issues later on in life, which can become a burden on society. Um, drugs are su drugs such as uh, opioids, and um, let's go ahead and include tobacco, tobacco, um, alcohol. See, when you take it in your system while you're pregnant, and passes through the placenta, and it gets absorbed by the baby. And uh, I contemplated showing this last video because it really tugs at the heart. It is very difficult to watch, so I'm advising that this is a trigger warning. Um, it was hard for me to watch because I just have a soft spot for little babies, little people. Uh, but I, I wanted to go ahead and show a little dose of reality of what um, our, our smallest innocent victims, you know, what they experience. So this last video, we're going to um, roll right into that so you can see both sides of, um, you know, why some people advocate for sterilization and even long-term, um, not so much long-term birth control, but more sterilization because the truth of the matter is a lot of people don't get clean. You have your hopes and you, you know, you wish for them and you encourage them to get clean. But at the end of the day, a lot of them, they don't break the addiction. And then they're having babies and bringing these children into the world. And this video just shows exactly what these babies go through. So let's go ahead and um, watch this video. Roughly one baby an hour in this country is born hooked on prescription painkillers their mothers are abusing. These innocent victims face an uphill battle as we saw when we were invited into one special hospital ward in Tennessee. 
ABC's Juju Chang brings us this tale of hope and heartbreak as part of our division-wide commitment to telling the stories of the invisible among us, a hidden America. It's noon in the neonatal intensive care unit at East Tennessee Children's Hospital, and baby Grayson, just 48 hours old, is shaking again. He's tremoring in it. Grayson was born with a serious drug dependency because his pregnant mother was addicted to painkillers. Now he gets morphine every three hours to cut the pain of withdrawal. Grayson was brought here from a nearby hospital to this special unit for detoxing newborns. Right now, there are 23 tiny patients here going through withdrawal, mostly from prescription pills like Oxycontin, Vicodin, or Percocet. It's like they're inconsolable. I know people probably think I exaggerate when I say they have this very fearful look in their eyes. Well, they do. Good morning. Carla Saunders is the head nurse of this special unit. They'll have really bad tremors, really bad jitters, very bad irritability, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramping. Nightline was given rare access for four days and nights to witness firsthand what they see as a new and hidden epidemic in this country, striking the most innocent of victims. When I started, you maybe had a withdrawal baby once in a while, and then it was once a month, and we got six this weekend, all at one time. It's gone from a drip to a flood. A flood. It is a flood. After two days of waiting, there's finally room on the ward for Grayson. Now we're transferring this baby to the third floor. He's fairly chittery. Has he needed a lot of Tylenol? We've given it to him twice today because he's been around borderline. It's starting to look like they may begin weaning him off the morphine. If it's two in a row, then they start weaning, right? Ashton, just 19 years old, is Grayson's mom. He's done so good today. Mm -hmm. Good. He's just so, like, happy. Big difference from two days ago? Yeah. Mama needed you to be more awake. She says she tried the prescription painkiller Roxycodone for the first time as a party drug while still in high school. How easy was it for you to score painkillers? They're pretty much easy to find if you want them. It's everywhere. It is crazy to see how many kids are strung out on opiates. Ashton says she lost a basketball scholarship to the drugs. Having tried to go cold turkey on her own, she knows just how painful withdrawal can be. You get cold chills, your skin feels like it's crawling, like like it's crawling, literally. I mean, you just feel so, you don't want nobody to touch you. Knowing how awful it feels, what goes through your mind when you know that Grayson's going through that now? It drives me crazy. I mean, it, it literally makes me, honestly, it makes me beat myself up every day. Ashton was trying to recover and on methadone when she got pregnant. But doctors advise pregnant mothers not to stop using because the baby in their womb might suffer from potentially lethal withdrawal. It's clear why when you see Grayson now. Nurse Saunders is helping develop a treatment program using a powerful combination of drugs, trial and error, and lots of TLC. It can take weeks, even months, for these tiny bodies to withdraw from what their mothers were hooked on. How is um, Grayson doing? Still having the jerk and tremors, and he's got the loose stool. After days of progress, baby Grayson suffers a setback. On our fourth day on the unit, Saunders still can't wean him off the morphine, as she'd hoped. Not only is Grayson not going to wean tomorrow, I'm going to go right for an increase for him. Now Nurse Saunders has to break the news to Ashton. Grayson 
this morning was starting to get a little more jittery and he's kind of progressed through the day today. And so um, we've had to go up on his medications. I think you can see him twitching pretty good. And so he's went all crazy overnight, pretty much. It's like it's just went downhill. This is just the probably the first dip in the roller coaster ride. Okay, buddy, here you go. And this is the increased dose, but this will help settle his jerks down. Wake up! Wake up! Open your eyes. You are so big. And yet inside the NICU, there are glimmers of hope. After 88 days here, baby Mason is about to go home, a moment that's bittersweet for the staff. Oh, you okay, wanted me on this conversation. It's I know okay. you did. Tell them. You want to tell them about it? It's okay. What goes through your mind when you hand over a baby that you've taken three months of your life to nurture and care for? It? It's never easy to say goodbye to them because we do get attached. But we know that we have given them their best shot at the first few days or weeks or months of their life. Three-week-old Grayson is one of the lucky ones. His mother says she's trying to keep clean, taking doctor-prescribed methadone to wean herself from an addiction to painkillers. Your eyes look a little dilated to me. Are you still using? I'm still on methadone now, yeah. I have been since, I mean, since I had him, yeah. But are you using other stuff outside of that? Oh, no. Yeah. No. Methadone's the only thing I've used since I got in the clinic. How do you make it up to him from here on out? How do you prove that you deserve to take him home? You have to start just detoxing yourself. You have to start doing it just like he's doing it. If Grayson could understand what you said to him right now, what would you say to him? Mama, sorry. It's just hard. I mean, none of it was planned, you know? I wanted something better for him because, I mean, I grew up around it. I know. And it wasn't fun. I didn't want that for him. I wanted better for him because I wanted to be the mom that I didn't have. For Nightline, I'm Juju Chang in Knoxville, Tennessee. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to show, um, you know, what a baby experiences due to um, just, just this is just in the United States. So I just wanted to give you a little glimpse of, you know, what a baby goes through. Um, there is um, a concerning trend of babies being born with drug dependencies, including painkillers, alcohol, and other drugs. And these newborns face challenges immediately. Um, you have vomiting, diarrhea, cramping, and these uh, tiny humans suffer so much and this is why people like Barbara Harris exist. Barbara Harris is the the woman that you know is offering um, permanent sterilization through her uh, nonprofit organization. Um, and just to add, she has adopted I think either three to four children of her own that were uh, born with addiction. So she has her own her biological children, and then she. Um, adopted uh, either three to four children that were born addicted as well. So, um, you know, she's not just promoting sterilization. She also offers non-permanent options such as IUDs and arm implants through her, her nonprofit. It's called Project uh, Prevention. So they're about um, 
400,000 children in foster care right now and 4 million grandparents having to raise their grandchildren due to parents um, that lose their rights to their children because they're addicted to drugs and alcohol. And, uh, you know, uh, going back to the video with uh, the children's right advocate, uh, I think her name is Ariva Martin. Um, you know, with, without flinching, she made this a race issue uh, when, in fact, addiction is an issue that affects individuals from all backgrounds. So um, it's it's vital that we acknowledge that our, our foster care system is overburdened and there is a shortage of qualified foster families and a lack of social workers. Um, so a lot of children that are in the foster care system um they suffer even though they're being taken away from their parents that who are addicts. Um, you know, I can remember being a kid in the eighties and the war on drugs with the, the slogan from uh, Reagan, uh, just say no. Well, it didn't work then. And uh, now illegal drugs, drug use is, is out of control. So just say no. Um, we need something. We need something to, to combat this, um, this epidemic. epidemic. Um, the young lady we saw in the video, Grayson's mother said that she grew up around it. So she's actually a product of her environment. She wanted to be a better mom for Grayson um, that she had. So what are some solutions? You know, we definitely need to focus on finding solutions that prioritize human safety and health. And one potential solution could be to increase funding for nonprofit organizations, just like Project Prevention which work to prevent unintended pregnancies um, amongst individuals struggling with addiction. However, it is important to consider that the ethical implications of mandatory sterilization laws, as they could be seen as a violation of individual rights. And ultimately, we need to be creating an ecosystem that provides human safety and health that will require a collaborative effort from individual organizations and communities. So um, it was a very uh, tough topic, uh, but you know, we, we got through it. We got through it. I just want to go ahead and thank each and every one of you who listens, subscribes, shares, and invites someone to my channel. Um, you can also, um, you know, pick up uh, podcasts on on anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple or iHeart, um, you know, go ahead and listen every week. It's there for you on Thursdays and by uh, Fridays or so you can actually, actually watch the video here on the YouTube channel. So I do appreciate my loyals. Uh, take best care. In Jamaica, they say walk good. That means take care of yourself and uh, may peace be still.